Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. Show before the show podcast returns from MILB.com. This is our last pre-holiday show. Is that a thing? That, I mean, it is now. When you Can we make it a it thing? That way. Yeah, it's our last. It's our last pre-holiday show. I sure, feel like we don't not? have enough Thanksgiving Day related things. Oh, no, we'll talk about that more next week. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah, it's true. Uh, it'll be a holiday week, I guess I should say, the next time that we do a show. Right. So it's our last pre-holiday week show. There. That works. Why not? We'll go that way. Yeah. Uh, I'm Tyler Vaughn. He's Sam Dykstra in New York City. What's going on, Sam? Not not too much. Uh, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a heck of a day so far trying to get this uh plane off the ground but here we are soaring right that's, that's yeah let's uh yeah let's go with that <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's just get started uh the, the show before the show podcast from milb.com thanks for tuning in wherever you found us you can find us uh elsewhere uh if you found us on itunes and stitcher you can give us a rating and a review and a subscription all that kind of stuff you can also find all of our past episodes at milb.com slash podcast and we are there constantly uh and milb.com slash podcast as well so if you missed anything you can go back and find it if you missed you know uh world series uh winning catcher wilson Contreras when he got his season started by being on the milb.com podcast back in february you can go find that so go check that stuff out as well and uh strike one we're just gonna get right into it sam arizona fall league coming to an end we are days away from the conclusion of the 2016 afl uh we've had a lot of Really, really big breakout type of performances down there, um, and we're going to be getting awards and all that kind of stuff soon. So the awards conversation will start there. Sam, who's your AFL MVP? Yeah, so for me, I'm just going to kind of go through this, I guess, MLB Network style and, and just give like three potential guys I think could win it and then break it down. You know, the last one, hopefully Kate Upton doesn't get angry at me. for Yeah, my yeah, she's, she's spitting the off. fire tonight. Yeah, that, that just happened as we're recording this to give you an idea. <laughs> of where we are in time while we're talking to you through your earphones or wherever you're listening to us. But, uh, yeah, so the, my three picks, I think, for these would be my three AFL MVP finalists, are Zach Vinci, Gleber Torres, and Jared Miller. Um, so starting with the two position player uh, prospects there. Torres, you might know a little bit better. He, he's, if not the top prospect in the Yankee system, he's right there with Clint Frazier, a guy acquired from the Cubs this year. Um, you know, in the Araldis Chapman deal started, you know, he moved from Myrtle Beach over to Tampa. So he's coming into the fall league this year, having only played the high A level 
still only 19 years old, a pretty good shortstop. And everybody projects him to be a pretty good batter as well. Hit 270 this year with a 775 OPS. And then is just taking it to another level here in the AFL. You know, this only happens over a couple of weeks, so he's only played 17 games as of recording this. But he's had a 379 average, which is tied with Vinci for the best in the AFL. A 500 OBP and a 621 slugging percentage. That 500 OBP is the best in the fall league right now. Uh, he's walked 14 times, struck out only seven, which is incredibly favorable no matter what sample size you're talking about. Uh, three homers, 10 RBIs in those 17 games. So for a guy who's still a teenager, you know, to face the, the level of competition that we're talking about in the fall league, we're talking about between double AA, A, triple A, that kind of talent uh, generally, to see him thrive the way he has is really not not necessarily surprising in the way that we know he's a top prospect, you know, could someday be a very impactful player for the Yankees or, you know, wherever he ends up. Um, but the way he's been able to do that at this age and, you know, as a guy who's got a career OPS of 761, uh, to take that even above, you know, right now may, must make the Yankees extremely optimistic for his 2017 season. So he's one candidate over there. Vincey is a guy who's a little more off the map. Uh, you probably haven't heard of him coming into this year. He's 25 years old, was a 37th round pick in 2012 out of Pepperdine. Uh, this was a guy who this year hit 281, only had three home runs and a 708 OPS and 121 games at AA Pensacola. He's already eclipsed that home run total in Arizona. He's got four home runs this year down there, uh, two triples, seven doubles. Like I said, he, he also is tied with Torres for the league lead with a 379 o- or a 379 average, but leads the league in both slugging at 727 and OPS at 1.181. So, you know, he's gone from a guy who's just, you know, not that great a hitter at at the double A level to really thriving here in the fall league. I mean, that, whether that puts him on the map somewhere, whether he's really turning some heads, whether this is just a statistical kind of anomaly we'll have to see what that means come spring but you know this is a showcase circuit uh so he's certainly putting himself on the map there and then jared miller um is a pitcher the one pitcher i'm going to feature here miller has he's a guy who used to be a starter in the d-back system actually started back going back to his days at vanderbilt another one of those hashtag vandy boys that i know the internet likes so much uh this year has not given up a run so far for salt river in 18 and one-thirds innings. He's only given up six hits in that span, only given up four walks. Meanwhile, he struck out 30 guys with a 0.55 whip. Uh, so he's just been absolutely dominant in the fall league. And at a time when, you know, bullpens are becoming more and more important, it felt like with each coming series in the postseason, uh, he's becoming almost a dominant reliever, climbed four levels in the D-back system this year. Uh, wrote a tool shed on him a couple weeks ago. Actually, I think it was last week. Um, so go read that on how he's kind of improving and how he accepted an assignment to the bullpen. Uh, you know, his fastball is in the lower 90s, so not overly dominant there, but his breaking stuff has been truly special, I think, in the fall league, and he's another guy taking a big jump. Uh, he's certainly in the conversation just as a guy who has not let anybody reach and isn't giving up any runs. He's only one of two guys who are qualified pitchers in the fall league this year with Edgar Santana of Surprise uh, who have not given up an earned run in this fall league campaign. So between Miller, Vinci and Torres, I think I gave it to Vinci just because he's leading in so many categories that, you know, we really like. Uh, but I could, I could see an argument for any of those other two as well. No, I mean, 
No, I mean, I think those are – it's really a three-horse race. I think those are the three guys. Um, if we had to list some fringe guys maybe behind those three contenders, I think Nick Gordon of the uh, the Minnesota Twins with Surprise uh, and Cody Bellinger of the Los Angeles Dodgers with Glendale. I think those two guys, you can make an argument for those two guys as well. Um, Bellinger, the thing I really like about him is he – is in the in the mix in pretty much every category in the leaderboard. He's not leading in things, but he's there in everything. He's got 10 extra base hits. That's second most uh, in the AFL. His on-base percentage is 420. That's the fifth best mark in the AFL. His slugging percentage is 552. That's the fourth best mark. So it's like he's doing everything really, really well uh, where he's, you know, on a 10 scale, he's like about an eight at everything. Whereas we see some other guys right now who are nines and tens at certain things uh, and maybe a little bit less elsewhere. Bellinger has just been really, really good across the board and everything that he's done, which has been really impressive. But yeah, I mean, aside from, from those three, you'd have a, a tough time making an argument for anybody else, but there've just been some really, really impressive performances all around in the AFL this year. And uh, you know, the fact that you have guys who are having that good of campaigns who have separated themselves almost takes away from the fact that these guys behind them are having really really good afl campaigns and you almost don't even notice them quite as much yeah for sure i'm glad i'm glad you brought up bellinger because he's a guy who you know we kind of had down as a breakout prospect during the regular season and the fact that he's can carry that into uh into the fall league has been even more impressive um just to you know a guy who did really well with double a then got the call up to triple a you know this kind of seals his breakout year um, you know, not to dabble in rumors too much, but uh, there were rumors today that the t- Dodgers are interested in, you know, Tigers second baseman Ian Kinsler. And then the other rumor that popped up was, well, if that was going to happen, the Tigers are really, really interested in Bellinger. And, you know, people would start discussing of like, well, of course they should be. He's a guy who can play the outfield. He can play first base. Uh, he can handle both positions offense, offensively and defensively would fit either way. So, uh, Bellinger will be one to watch in 2017, no matter what. But the fact that he's able to carry what was a strong 2016 into, you know, this fall league is uh, only a point in his favor. Strike two this week, Sam. Triple A park factors. We're gonna go uh, talk a little bit about some of the extremes in Triple A. This is a piece that's up on the site right now, and uh, it's one of my favorite things that we've done from season to season, examining park factors at various levels. But you really have your your yin and your yang, if you will, in Columbus in the International League and Colorado Springs in the Pacific Coast League. Um, tell us a little bit about you know what the what the data shows in Triple A. Yeah. So I, when I wrote this, you know, I wanted to feature a couple parks that. Um, at least just stood out to me for various reasons. I mean, you can have your extreme hitters parks, you know, your uh, Las Vegas's, your Reno's, your Salt Lakes, your Albuquerque's, those kind of things. Um, you know, those are places that we all always known have tilted towards hitters, specifically in the PCL. Um, but in the IL, it's not really known as that much of a hitters league at all. I mean, it's pretty much right down the middle. Um, when, I, when I looked at this, you know, I, I wanted to include a table of, where the individual leagues rank in terms of runs per nine, home runs per nine, and hits per nine. The IL was actually 14th among the 14 domestic uh, leagues, not counting the complex leagues. But it was sixth in home runs and eighth in hits. So it's pretty much dead center. Pacific Coast was fourth in runs, first in homers, and second in hits. So, again, it, it tilts towards home runs. So if we're thinking about IL right down the middle, what do, what is a hitter's park by – IL standards, and it turns out that that's Columbus. Uh, Charlotte used to be really, really uh, hitter-friendly, and I think Columbus just kind of usurped that a little bit this year. Uh, 
for various reasons. I don't know what quite happened in Charlotte. Maybe next year Charlotte will take that again. Uh, maybe it's a little bit of a, you know, just some funky things happen with the numbers this year. But uh, with Columbus, we're talking about a home run factor. If one is, you know, perfectly average or perfectly fair uh, and zero is tilted towards pitchers and, you know, anything above one is tilted towards hitters, Columbus was a 1.571 for home runs this year. Um, so I got to talk to their manager, Chris Tremme, just talking to him about that a little bit. Uh, and their, you know, their park is a little funky in that, you know, left field and right field aren't exactly uh, symmetrical. Um, so, you know, the, it's a little bit smaller on the right side uh, than it is on the left. And it doesn't quite go out straight in right field. It, it kind of goes at an angle and juts out a little bit. So that played into it a little bit. The wind played into it a little bit. Um, but Columbus is now going to be a park that I'm going to be thinking about more as a hitter's park than per potentially I did before just based on this data. Uh, but Colorado Springs, I wanted to point out just because whenever you hear the word Colorado and baseball, you're going to think of massive offensive numbers. And, you know, the data backed that up a little bit. Colorado Springs led uh, the PCL this year in its run factor is a 1.554. So again, that's you know 50% more runs scored there than your average, or what should be a perfectly fair park. Uh, on a the hit factor was 1.373. So again, uh, more hits there than you would expect. But the home runs were down. The home runs were actually below average. It was 0 0.938. And for something that's at such high altitude, I think it's a thousand feet higher than Coors Field. Uh, there in Colorado Springs, why are home runs down? So I talked to their manager, Rick Sweet. He explained, you know, there's nary a day when they play in that park when it's not, you know, double-digit wins coming in. Uh, he said it, you watch batting practice, if there's no wind at all, the ball flies out of the park. I mean, they take advantage of that, even with a humidor uh, that they have in place there. But, um, you know, on days when there's even a little bit of wind coming in, there are days when – you know, no balls are getting out and even in batting practice, never mind during games. Uh, so I just kind of found that fascinating. So as much as we want to think, oh, so-and-so, Brewers prospect is getting called up to, you know, AAA Colorado Springs, we can expect a little more power out of him. That might be the case when he goes on the road, but we can't think that way uh, when he plays at home in Colorado Springs for the Sky Sox. So that kind of goes up against, you know, my own preconceived notion uh yeah, I encourage people to check this out, just kind of pour over the numbers. We've got both the, the park factors for this year and the last three years combined just to see how things kind of change year to year. Um, we don't have Nashville under that three-year uh, table just because they, it's only been there for two years. It wouldn't be fair to throw that in there. Um, but, yeah, just kind of give that a look over. And, uh, yeah, Columbus and Colorado Springs were the first two that – point came out to me so I, I talked to their manager about it and i encourage people to read about it on the site it is a, a really really good piece and it's up on the site right now tool shed for this week and uh kind of gives you a, a look behind the curtain of why you see a baseball game in a certain place that feels so much differently than where you may see it elsewhere and uh, it's really really good stuff up from Sam on the site right now. Strike three this week, Sam. Uh, minor league free agent time has arrived, and uh, this is always one of the most interesting times on the baseball calendar because we see guys who are making impacts at the major league level who were nobodies 
by this time last year. Guys who were signed, who were having big pushes through the, the end of the regular season into the postseason, who this time last year were unemployed as minor league free agents. This year, big crop of uh, 534 free agents uh, cut, not cut loose, but either cut loose or contracts expire, that type of thing, but now out on the open market in minor league baseball. Is there anybody who stands out to you as somebody who you think you would definitely take a chance on and could make an impact down the road? Yeah, so, you know, you mentioned before people should go back and listen to our previous podcasts. I encourage you to go back and listen to the one with Matt Bushman. Uh, you know, not only because we talked to him at, after his long road in the minors and getting called up to the majors, but I remember the question we asked him about what is it like to be a minor league free agent? We don't hear too much about that, uh, what that's like. And I think for certain guys, it's a little rough because, you know, that means you've been in a system for years and they didn't get you the call and now your time is up with them. But uh, for other guys, it means now they have options. Now they can kind of search out uh you know what the minor league landscape is where they see themselves fitting in uh what is the best road for them to the majors uh so go back and listen to matt bushman's he's actually now a free agent as well uh 32 years old right-hander made three appearances for arizona this year uh 25 for triple a reno had a 5.26 era uh so we'll have to see how that kind of shakes out for him um, you know, now that he's in his 30s, I think it might be a little tougher for him. But certainly we wish him all the best. Um, one guy who sticks out to me, just because I love his stat line just so much, is Williams Estudio. Uh, he's a catcher. He started out in the Phillies organization, then went to the Braves this year. Uh, he was signed as a free agent last year, invited to spring training. This is just a guy who makes so much contact. It, it almost befuddles me how this is possible. The guy had, you know, he appeared in 89 games this year for Double A Mississippi. Hit 267 and a 626 OPS. So not not great numbers, you know, that are going to push him up. That's probably why, you know, he's not with the Braves anymore. But this is a guy who sh- he had 322 at bats this year, struck out in only 11 of them, and then he only walked five times. So this guy just makes crazy amounts of contact. <laughs> None of that makes no, sense. No, it doesn't at all. Like it just it befuddles me to no end. And he he tied his you know career high this year with four home runs. So yeah, he he had some decent pop. Um, not great pop, obviously. I'm not going to say you know four home runs is a 50 power tool, but I I just want to see more of this guy. I'm not ready to see him go away yet. I want somebody to sign him. Yeah, and, and he was a decent catcher too. He threw out thirty six attempted base, thirty six percent of attempted base stealers. Um, so yeah, if, the, if some team is out there and you have a catching hole at Double A or even Class A advanced, give Leon's the studio a chance just to see if he can keep this going. You know, he's a twenty five year old right handed hitter out of Venezuela, not too old yet. You know, kind of the perfect age for Double A if we're talking about free agents. So yeah. Uh, if a team's out there, I would love to see a studio get signed. Also, shout out to Tim Dillard, uh, who is a great tweeter. Uh, I would love to see him still in the minor leagues. He might be kind of a little too old for that at this point. But, um, yeah, that would be great to see him catch on somewhere else and keep producing videos, if nothing else. Uh, but he, he's a guy who yeah, has seen some time in the majors. Shout out to him. Maybe he'll get something. Also, Balbuino Fuenmayor. Uh, also a free agent this year, uh, just has a great story. A guy who went to independent ball in 2014, hadn't played above Class A uh, 
in the Blue Jays system gets signed by the Royals, has a breakout year 2015. This year, not quite as great. 291 average, 730 OPS, six homers in 101 games, AAA Omaha. But I would just love to see him get another chance uh, just to see what, what else he can do you know, at that top level, try to crack it um, you know, after he had fought his way back to the minors to begin with. The great Balbino, as they call him. Um, One of the names that stood out to me, and this isn't a a traditional minor league free agent name, but this is why this conversation is so wide ranging, because it's not a a career, a lifer minor leaguer, um, but a guy who is right now a minor league free agent um, and I think would slip under a lot of radars uh, if you hadn't seen his name on this list and that's Aaron Crow and uh, Aaron Crow is the ninth overall pick of the Washington Nationals in the 2008 uh, amateur draft out of Mizzou went back to school and then was the Royals first round pick in 2009 out of Mizzou and signed with the Royals out of college uh, he actually I forgot this the whole story did not go back to school he actually played independent ball from 2008 to 2009 after not signing in the first round so played with uh, with an independent league team in 2008 and then 2009 gets into affiliated ball for the first time and really climbs the ranks pretty quickly. And he ends up in Kansas city by 2011, but his story is one that is pretty common with a lot of guys in this type of situation. Over 254 career major league appearances in relief, a 20 and 11 record, a 3.43 ERA, really good numbers, 208 strikeouts and 233 and two thirds innings. But Tommy John surgery 2015 this year doesn't get healthy uh, for a whole lot of action. He was actually in the Cubs system and pitched in three games, made two starts uh, for the rookie level AZL Cubs. So, you know, I mean, next year will be his age 30 season. But he's a minor league free agent. This is a guy with a really high ceiling, a guy who's done stuff at the major league level already, who seems like he could be a contributor. And I use that just kind of as a a point to show the types of guys who are out there. When you think about minor league free agent, you probably think this is a, a player who doesn't really have much of a road forward. Those guys are out there who really already have made big impacts in their careers or could still be primed to make big impacts in their careers. And that's something that I think uh, you may not necessarily realize when you head into this type of of uh, the stretch in the calendar in the baseball offseason is just how close some of these guys really are to being able to make impacts. Um, you know, I mean, Connor Gillespie is a guy who made a, a huge impact this year in the postseason uh, for the San Francisco Giants. And, you know, when you make those climbs, uh, sometimes they go quickly. He was in the, in the big leagues by 2008, but you know, he was a minor league free agent at the end of 2015. That's a guy who was in the angels organization. Giants signed him off the scrap heap. There he is playing the, a starring role in the division series. So there are guys who are there on that doorstep. And this is where so much of that scouting work that teams do during the season. Uh, so much of, you know, guys sitting around in Southern league games in July, who just happened to write down a note about somebody And then that guy becomes a free agent later on and a team picks him up for 2017. That's where all that work comes to a head. So it's really it's pretty amazing how the engine operates in continuity, one piece working with another that extends these guys careers and sometimes sends them off to pretty impressive stuff. Yeah, And and I think we have to highlight as much as we can that this is an opportunity for a lot of these guys. I mean, the draft system, you get placed with a team that you didn't pick. Um, you know, that's just the way it works and you have to fight your way through that organization. If it doesn't work well, now you're a free agent. And I don't know, that that just sounds a lot more worrisome in the minors than it really is. I mean, for a lot of these guys now they get a chance to kind of look out and see, okay, where is the best place for me? What is the clearest route? What, 
you know, what have I heard from other organizations about the way they would handle somebody like, you know, are they really good with pitching? Are they really good with hitting? Or, you know, is a former coach of mine in another system, whatever. Uh, This is a chance to kind of choose their own destiny. So, you know, free agency uh, is an opportunity as much as anything else, even in the minors. And if you know a minor league free agent right now, give them a hug because this is, I mean, you're walking on a razor's edge. This is the most stressful time of year for those guys. Yeah, as much as it's an opportunity, Um, it is. uh, I think think Josh had a story on this last year. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. We talked to Matt Perk and a couple other guys about what it's like to, to be a minor league free agent and what you have to go through during that process. So I recommend people check that out when they get a chance. Yeah. Go back and give that a read. Cause that was a really good one. And uh, that brings us to an end of this week's edition of three strikes on the 84th episode of the show before the show podcast coming up. We're going to head to the Washington nationals organization and catch up with senior advisor for player development, spin Williams, who was just named the winner of the 2016 Mike Coolbaugh award in minor league baseball. We'll discuss what that means and a whole lot more with spin Williams, of the Washington nationals next. We're joined this week on the Minor League Baseball podcast with Spin Williams, uh, National Senior Advisor of Player Development and 2016 Minor League Baseball Mike Coolbaugh Award winner. Uh, Spin, thanks for joining us. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, thank you. It's, uh, it's beautiful weather right now so far here in the Midwest, so things are going good. There you go. Yeah, you always take that in the middle of November. No uh, doubt. So, yeah, so... So you, you won the Mike Coolbaugh Award for, and I quote, the, an individual who has shown outstanding baseball work ethic, knowledge of the game, and skill in mentoring young players on the field. Uh, you kind of got into it a little bit before we started recording here, but uh, what was your reaction when you found out you won, and how did you find out? Uh, well, um, actually, I was shocked to hear that I won it, and uh, Doug Harris uh, uh, called me and and asked if he, if I could get on a conference call. He called me on a Monday and said, can you get on a conference call Wednesday? I want to talk about some stuff for the minor leagues. And I said, sure. And so he, anyway, to make a long story short, I called him the, the number and uh, um, we started talking. And all of a sudden, Pat, Pat O'Connor uh, starts throwing stuff out of me, uh, out at me that Pat and I go way back, 1981 in Greenwood, South Carolina. So uh, it was surprising. He was on there, and then he then he uh, told me that I had received this award and that I would receive it at the winter meeting. So um, I, as I told you guys before, I, I didn't know that much about the award, but uh, after uh, after receiving it, obviously uh, I got on uh, got on the internet and uh, read up on it and uh, saw the. A lot, of, a lot of people that uh, have won it in the past, I knew and have, and and I know well. Um, Woody Ike was actually my first manager um, in the Pirate organization back in 1979. So uh, it's a, it's a really a privilege, and uh, I'm, you know, like I said, I was shocked, and and it's a, you know, it's a big, big honor for me because I know there's a lot of people that in the minor leagues and have given their life to the minor leagues that have never gotten awards like this that have retired and gone, gone, you know, either retired or have passed away. And I, I'm accepting that, uh, kind of this award in memory of all those people, whether they're living or they're past. So it's a neat, it's a neat award. 
Yeah, and, and uh, you know, we could list off your resume for you. You mentioned you worked in the Pirates organization before you move over to the Nats, become pitching coordinator now, as we said earlier, a senior advisor of player development. Uh, but kind of talk about your path through through the game and what got you uh, to this point, um, you know, between those two organizations and working your way up, you know, not only as a player but as a coach and a coordinator and now an advisor, you know, what all those different roles were and how it's kind of gotten to gotten you where you are right now yeah I, you know i was i was very fortunate uh i i wanted to play professional baseball my brother had played he was several years older than me and, and when i was a little kid i all of my it was my dream to play professional baseball and after my senior year in college uh at winona state university in minnesota um i didn't get drafted or anything so i started going to trial camps and uh i got an opportunity to sign uh, in out of Toledo, Ohio, by a, by a scout named Jim Maxwell with the Pirates, and he gave me. Uh, he said, "You want to play professional baseball?" I said, "That's why I'm here." And and uh, he said, "I can't give you any money, but I'll give you opportunity." And that's that's where it started. And um, just just really loved the game and couldn't believe I, I I signed first of all, but then once I got in it, I knew I wanted to try to stay in it in some capacity. It didn't take me long, you guys, to really figure out that I wasn't good enough probably to, to play at the major league level. I was an older, uh, obviously a senior sign, and uh, the Pirates at that time were real young, and they were drafting high school and junior college guys, and I was you know, several years older than, than the guys in rookie ball when I started down there. So um, got that opportunity and um, just uh, kind of told some of the – people that including Woody Heike, uh, Joe Fasina and Branch Rickey and Murray Cook and told them I'd like to stay in the game somehow in some capacity and down the road. Uh, um, this is before they had pitching coaches and hitting coaches and everything at every level. They only had one roving coach and one roving pitching coach and one roving hitting coach. So uh, the game has progressed that way. So I got an opportunity, got my foot in the door and just uh, – grinded it out in the minor leagues for several years. And then uh, Jim Leland and Cam Bonifay gave me an opportunity to be the bullpen coach in the, in uh, 1994 in the big, in the big leagues with the pirates. So, and then got let go with them in 05 and signed on with the nationals in uh, 06 and did some scouting, amateur scouting for them and went and watched pitchers for them and, when it traveled around and then the next year they asked me to be the coordinator of pitching. And, and, uh, I feel like, uh, both the pirates and the nationals have been really good fits for me because they were family orientated. They're really good people, people, you know, and uh, it's been fun and I wouldn't trade it for anything. Spin, what do you think your time in the system as a player did for you with gaining a little bit of perspective on just what it takes? I mean, you said, you know, you kind of realized that the deck was stacked against you being a, a senior sign and with, um, you know, the way that the, the game is geared toward, uh, especially nowadays, it seems like, you know, the higher level prospects and the and the higher rounds, of the drafts and all that kind of stuff. I mean, for, for you to be a guy who was a little bit older getting into pro ball and seeing what all it took to be successful in time, how do you think that influenced the way that you're able to you know, see that in players and prospects throughout your coaching career. And, and as you've grown as a, as a coach and an administrator in an organization on how to help those guys. Well, I, I think, uh, you know, not playing very, very many years at all, but just, uh, being a player 
and knowing how hard it really is uh, helped me in coaching uh, because I always go <clears throat> by the old saying that Rocky Bridges, a, a mentor, one of my mentors uh, back in the Pirate organization, said, just remember how hard, how hard the game was when you played. And uh, it was very hard for me, obviously. So, you know, sometimes we as coaches and, and evaluators uh, in the minor leagues especially forget how hard the game really is and what the kids are going through. And um, I think that was the biggest thing probably that my short time of playing helped me be be more understanding of players. Uh, it really, really has changed a lot now because players are obviously um, more – you know, they're a little different than they were back then, but uh, uh, I've grown with the players and the players keep me young and, and keep me, you know, keep me on top of my game as well. <laughs> when you talk about the way that this system has grown in Washington, we'll jump ahead a little bit. I mean, you got so much experience being able to build a system in the Pirates organization. And, um, you know, one of the things I really like the, the Washington Post story by Chelsea James about you winning this award really emphasizes how much of the success at the major league level for the Nationals has come from how solidly the foundation has been laid in the minor leagues and for you to be such a big part of that um you know what is this run toward these postseason appearances and you know the fact that it seems like you guys are kind of on the doorstep of you know making that world series finally and that type of stuff how much does that mean to you uh in relation to you know not only what you've accomplished uh individually but how that's related to the accomplishments of the organization uh, at the major league level and continuing at the minor league level to develop so much talent well, I mean, we're very proud of what we do in the, in in our in our organization, and we and uh, <clears throat> we try to breed major league players, and we try to get uh, our our main objective is to try to get the best out of every player, whether they're major league caliber or double A caliber. Those double A caliber guys or high A ball caliber guys uh, help us continue to to develop our 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 prospects that go to the big leagues and. And uh, I think people, the, the players that have played in our organization know that we care about them, number one. And number two is uh, I think that, that they feel that we treat them fairly. And uh, um, that's the biggest thing that, that, that I take away from this game and, and uh, especially with the Nationals organization now is, is uh, there's not many kids that come back and, and, uh, and have many bad things to say about us because – we go all out to treat those people like we want to be treated, and that, and that's the way uh, our minor league system is. And I think that's why we, we, we have a little bit more. Uh, you know, I'm not saying more success than anybody else, but we've had we've had good success. And 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 let's get let's get one thing straight. You gotta you gotta have good scouts and 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 draft good and, and be able to sign good and and uh, and good pro scouts to get those minor league free agents. Because you know you, you, they got to have talent, but uh, uh, the, the, I think the players, for the most part, know that we care about them first as a person and second as a player. And, and kind of along those lines, I mean, o over all these years, um, you know, everybody kind of has a philosophy that they attach to the game, and you've worked with a lot of pitchers. So, how would you kind of describe your pitching philosophy when you're working with these younger guys? Well, I think. <clears throat> uh, I guess my biggest thing was when I came over and took over as pitching coordinator after being in the big leagues for 12 years as a bullpen coach and pitching coach, I, I kind of understood, I, 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 I was able to see a lot of games obviously at the major league level. I knew what, 
major, you know, what it took to be a major league pitcher. And, and the biggest thing that, that my philosophy was not only to the pitchers, but to the managers and the pitching coaches and everybody involved in the development process, as well as some of the scouts that I had opportunities to talk to before the draft, but is that we want to do things that are going to work at the major league level. We don't want you to be, do something that, that you can, you can be successful at a ball, but it's not going to work at the higher, at a higher level than what at a ball. So we try to, we try to do things in the, in the nationals organization that, um, really, we don't have to reteach them once they get to the higher levels pitching the big leagues. We 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 try to teach them what it takes to be a big leaguer right out of the chute, starting in rookie ball. And you know that might be a release time, clicking it up to the plate, or pitches, or or different ability. And um, but that's you know we're we're there to to breed and to develop uh, big league pitchers. And I think that was what one of the things that I really, I was really a stickler on that, uh, yeah, you could have success doing things at rookie ball that weren't going to work at the, at the major league level. But we, we really talked about, you know, looking, looking ahead and looking at the big picture. And specifically there's two Nats prospects I want to talk to you about that now that we have you here, um, you know, particularly developing them into major league pitchers and Lucas, Lucas Giolito, and Renato Lopez, both guys who had you know pretty good years at the minor league levels this year, upper levels, uh, couldn't quite crack the majors. Uh, with those two guys specifically, you know they, they would stand out in any organization. They specifically stand out with the Nats. What do they need to do? Do you think to get over that hump for Giolito? I know it's a little bit of command. Lopez the same way, or control issues kind of the same way with Lopez. What are you guys going to be working on with those two come the spring to get them over that hump? Well, first of all, they're they're quality kids, and they and they understand the process. And um, just a little story: back in <clears throat> in '01, I had a guy named Jason Schmidt that had been in the big leagues for the most part of four or five years, and really hadn't found himself. And then found himself in '01, and then all of a sudden we ended up trading him. He went to the San Francisco Giants and uh, became became a uh, you know, a pretty big, pretty big part of their their success for several years. So sometimes it's just the, the maturity and the times knowing that you belong there and and the experience of being there. So it, sometimes it takes a little, you know, it takes this time and and experience. But both those kids are uh, their their ceilings are you know they got real high ceilings. Um, you know, I just think the consistency and knowing what they do is good enough. And I think, you know, the biggest thing that any, any player that goes to the big leagues thinks they have to do more. And, and, uh, you know, that just, a lot of that just comes with experience. They've shown ability to command the baseball, both of them, and they've shown, uh, above average off speed pitches. They've shown the ability to hold runners and field their position at the minor league level. They just got to get to where they know, they, that's what they have to do at the major league level. So we'll continue to pound the fundamentals and, and the basics of, of those things. But, you know, it's making pitches and, and, and not, not doing too much is, is something that comes with experience. So I think it's, you know, they, they need to, 
they'll, you know, I'm not saying they're going to start in AAA, but if they start in AAA, they need to get some AAA innings under their belts. And, um, you know, they've both shown flashes, even in the big leagues, that that they that they can compete there. So it's just a matter of time. And I know Mike Maddox, our pitching coach, and Dusty Baker, our manager, really like both of them. And and uh, they'll they'll be in big league spring training, and they'll be able to put their hands on them as well. So it's a it's a team effort with uh, from the major leagues all the way down to the minor leagues. So I, I think I think I think they're knocking on the door, and I. I wouldn't be surprised to see them both of them in the big leagues next year at some time. Well, spin last thing for you. Uh, obviously, you know, a little bit removed now from the end of the regular season in Washington. And um, it's not just, you know, people I think probably think about when the major league roster gets eliminated, that's sort of it. But it feels that way throughout the entire organization. That's one of kind of the interesting things is watching the way that the minor league prospects react. I mean, guys who played in, you know, Auburn or in, in Hagerstown this year, whatever it is, who look at what's going on in the major league club and they're in it hanging on every pitch they're in it hanging on every out the same way that fans and and everybody else in the organization is so you know now that being a month removed uh from that going into 2017 there's still so much on the table uh and it's it's such a prime time for this organization to be uh in a good spot chasing down you know not only success at the minor league level but at the major league level i mean when you guys get back into this in january and february what's that energy going to feel like talking about you know when when somebody like giolito or lopez or whoever gets in to, to major league camp um, when you guys get there when you hit the fields in florida in february what's that energy going to be like this time around oh i think it's going to be great uh i'm very impressed with dusty baker and his staff uh this spring uh in, in the camp uh, very personable very uh caring about the players and, and getting to know the players well uh tried to create a family atmosphere uh, uh from a standpoint of uh, the team unity and and not only the major league team, but as an organization, I thought that was, I thought that was a, a big, big thing, but, but, you know, we, you know, our time is now we, 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 we want to, we want to, we want to win every year. And, you know, we've been, uh, we, we've had, we've had opportunities in the last several years that we're, we're right up there. And, you know, you know, we've had some, a couple glitches in the road, but you know, we, we expect to be, to compete and we expect to bring our minor league kids up and, and to help our, our major league club as well as, you know, whatever Mike Rizzo does, uh, from a free agent standpoint or, or, uh, uh, but, uh, we just have to, as a, as a minor league organization, as, as our development process continues is we just got to continue to try to feed as many guys as we can to help them win games up there. And, and, uh, it's fun. It's, to see our kids go up there uh, and and get a big hit or uh, make a big pitch and get a big out or uh, to get them see them celebrate when we when we won the when we won the division, man, I, I think everybody is so happy for not only the organization but for the kids that have worked so hard, you know, to get there and and uh, you know we want a World Series, uh, you know that's one thing I don't have is a World Series ring. I want a World Series ring and. And uh, I think that's the way our whole organization feels. And we, we know it's, it's a tough road and we just got to keep grinding and doing the things we do to, to develop players and, and uh, see what happens. All right, Spin, we'll, we'll leave you on this one. Um, yeah, we've called you Spin. The, your baseball reference page says Spin, the official release for the Cool Ball Award. Called you Spin, but your real name, the name that was given to you is Donald. So we gotta we gotta leave you on this one. 
Where did spin come from? <laughs> well, I, everybody thinks I could really throw a good curveball, but that isn't it. Uh, it's a great <laughs> baseball name, first of all. It, it's a great baseball name, so it, it fits right, right in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but back in the, the early 60s, uh, there was a TV show uh, called Spin and Marty. And I'm sure you guys are too young to even um, uh, even hear about it. But Spin and Marty was a TV show on the Mickey Mouse Club. And I hung around when I was three years old with a kid named Marty. And I was a junior. I was Donald Jr. So instead of calling me Junior, they nicknamed me Spin, and it just stuck with me. And, uh, <laughs> I've, you know, I'm going to be 60 years old in January. So, yeah, I guess I'll keep it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That certainly looked good on scouting reports, I'm sure, when you were coming up. <laughs> but, uh, all right, well, thanks so much, Spin, for thanks, joining ben. us. Congrats again on the uh, Cool Ball Award, and uh, enjoy the rest of your offseason. You guys, thank you, and good interview. Thank you so much. Big thanks to Spin Williams of the Washington Nationals for joining the show before the show this week. Really good. It's always cool to get a chance to talk to player development people, and they are some of the most humble people on the planet. So when you have to listen to them talk about winning an award and you can tell how uncomfortable <laughs> they are in doing that, it's always so much fun. Spin, I mean, he's one of those guys, just humble and understands, you know, that he is a cog in a very big machine. And it was really cool getting a chance to hear right, him talk about at that. At the same time, they also don't get to tell their st- story that much. For a guy True. who I think the highest level he reached was double A, and that was only for a couple yeah. games. So, you know, to to have them kind of sit back and be like, oh, people are interested in what my road has been like, uh, that's always fun too, and to give them an outlet for that. So think about that every time you're you're look, pouring over like a front office sheet just to look at who's in your, your team's front office. Every one of those has a story. Any Every one of them has a road to what landed them there. And, uh, yeah, I'm glad we got to – be able to share spins for a couple minutes there. Very cool. Very cool. And a big thanks to spin. And that brings us to uh, a, a very awkward transition into Ben's biz banter in which we have no Benjamin Hill for this week. I wish we had like a jingle and it would say now here's Ben Hill. And then we would have to awkwardly come in and say, yeah, no, yeah. But remember no, last no. week when we said Not we were really. going to try to impersonate him. <laughs> I was thinking about it all Did you week. Work on I was it? like, I don't even know how to do it. I really can't. Yeah, yeah. I don't think uh, I think that's I think like the best it. compliment really we can give to Ben is that. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Um, he's just a you know, he's a regular dude. He's a good, he's a good dude. What is the saying? Can't you can't impersonate just a regular dude? What is it? Yeah, impersonation. Yeah, whatever it is. Um, but yeah, no, we're gonna we're gonna flatter Ben by saying we cannot impersonate him. We'll go that way. Okay, I like it. I like it. Um, so we're going to dive into a little bit of Ben's biz banter without Ben. And uh, we are going to go basically full on with the New Orleans baby cakes, who are the newest minor league baseball identity heading into the 2017 season. Now, we are not done in rebranding season. Just as a very brief note, we're still waiting on Staten Island, which I believe is the final domino to fall. Um, but so far this offseason, we have Rumble Ponies, Fire Frogs, Wood Ducks, Baby Cakes. Who am I missing? Uh, Jumbo Shrimp? Jumbo Shrimp. Because they were the sneaky one. They were the sneaky one that just came out of nowhere. How quickly <laughs> we forget. So Baby Cakes is out there. And uh, and this was, this was fun because leading into – The day on which this was unveiled, which was Tuesday the 15th, on Monday night, 
uh, there were some teasers that went out into Tuesday on the New Orleans website. And everybody thought, oh, we cracked the case. Because at first, when you went to ZephyrsBaseball.com, formerly the New Orleans Zephyrs, it said the official side of the New Orleans baby cakes. And everybody thought, oh, what a leak. We figured it out. But then, like a few hours later, then it said official side of the New Orleans tailgaters. And then a few hours after that, it said official side of the uh, – what was the other one? Red Eyes. I think Red the Eyes is one of them. Too. And then, like, when you – yeah, and Night Owls. And when you Google search, Night Owls was the one that came up. So that was, like, a brilliant masterstroke of throwing people off. But Baby Cakes is it. Mardi Gras-themed colors. A little baby with the, the, the old snarl, the famous Brandio snarl coming out of a cake. Um, your thoughts, Sam, yeah, on the baby so cakes. Let's just point out the things that are very New Orleans centric in this, I guess. For those who don't know, a baby cake is kind of like a Mardi Gras staple. I'm pretty sure. So the way it works is. You... Yeah. So the cake is actually the king right. cake, right? And then you hide the right. baby in it. And then somebody finds the baby in the cake and that's what gives it a baby cake. Um, <laughs> But what, what makes this kind of <laughs> this is we get paid we get paid yeah to this, is why, this is why this is when we're really missing Ben Ben could I'm sure break down this all much better than we could <laughs> but the the basic colors for this are you know purple gold and green uh, like like Tyler said there's the the baby snarl uh, wearing the king's crown so that's a, a nod to the king cake as well um, and one of the logos is you know kind of your French flourish of an Eden with a, a cake that is a looks like an O with a crown. Um, so there, there's some New Orleans stuff here for sure. Uh, also, they released some of their alternate uniforms, which feature the Pelicans. Yeah, which is yeah, really, those really look cool. Amazing, I got to say. And not, not that, and that's what's kind of, I guess, a little bit confusing. When you think New Orleans Pelicans now, you think of the NBA team, but the New Orleans Pelicans, a longtime name for the baseball team in town. Um, the most recent team, the New Orleans Zephyrs, moved to New Orleans from Denver in 1993, so it, it hasn't been a team named there for a long time. That's kind of New Orleans baseball history is the New Orleans Pelicans. Right, right. and Zephyrs came from Denver. If I'm not, so right. Zephyrs, the reason why they got rid of Zephyrs was it wasn't really a New Orleans thing per se. I think there was like some spin that – there was a like a roller coaster at a theme park uh, in the New Orleans area that was very famous that was called the Zephyr, and that's why they kept right. that name. But, yeah, it was not a name that was when, – when the franchise moved, they didn't just pick up a brand right. new when identity. you think of New Orleans, you think loud and proud, and you think of, you know, everybody, bands walking down the street, and you think of, you know, a party scene, and you think of just a very proud culture. And Zephyr didn't quite call that into me. I don't – I'm not from New Orleans. I'm not from Louisiana, in case you can't tell from my accent. Um, <laughs> I think lack thereof. Um, so I don't know exactly how this plays with those folks. Um, you know, we we went. You know, Ben would always caution us on this, and that these things go through cycles. So this came out, you know, last night on Tuesday, and the immediate pushback was was just as loud as a as a New Orleans street band. Um, but, you know, maybe people will kind of warm to it. That's at least the hope. Um, you know, it, it's got one of the, the coolest now Twitter accounts, I think, in baseball, Cakes Baseball, which just sounds amazing. And this is going to be the next step. It, it used to be the Biscuits. I think they take over from the Biscuits now in the team that's just going to always make me hungry uh, yeah. when we're covering Yeah. It. So 
that's going to be the kind of effect on us. Uh, we'll see how it plays out in the coming months. We'll see how it plays out over the, the Christmas shopping season, whether people rush to get these. Um, but, yeah, the New Orleans Baby Cakes are our new team on the landscape, and they kind of fit into that. I think we talked about it with Ben before he left. This two-name structure, yeah. you know, this, yeah. the Rumble Ponies, the Jumbo Shrimp, the Baby Cakes, you know, the, the, we're going away from smashing two words together, capitalizing the middle one, so, we, you know, Rail Riders, Rubber Ducks, that kind of thing. Going away from that now, right. they're two distinct words. Um, but, you know, when we're talking about Staten Island to come, how are they going to play into that with Pizza Rats or Bridge Trolls? I think the only one that doesn't fit that structure is Heroes. Um, so can we cross that one off the list? I don't know. We're going to have to see. That would probably would have been my favorite, uh, my betting favorite for Staten Island, but giving the, I guess, minor league landscape now when it comes to team names, uh, that I think goes to the back of the pack, but we'll have to see how, what effect this kind of has going forward. You know what else I like about this uh, Baby Cakes identity is they have a, in addition to, Sam mentioned they have the Pelicans throwback uniforms, which are, you know, recreations of what the old school uniforms looked like for the New Orleans Pelicans. They also have a shield logo, an alternate logo that features the Zephyr yeah. Z and that old Pelicans logo. And I think that's really cool, too, to pay tribute to the history of I baseball. I think if they in that had area. that on a hat, that would sell very well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I haven't seen that featured exclusively on the hats itself yet um a lot of them like the pelicans ones have just the pelican or then there's one that has n with like a circle around it would be to be no uh they have one that's nola um so you know there's that one and there's the basic ones with you know the the king baby face and then the king baby holding the bat uh which seem to be kind of brandiose staples at this point but if, if they wanted to put that crest onto a hat i think that would sell really really well just an idea going forward we're open for business brandios slash new orleans baby cakes slash whoever like if you need idea ideas we have ideas <laughs> yeah, we, obviously we, now that we know your obviously. identity we have ideas on what you could have done differently because we exactly. are members of the internet so we have opinions <laughs> and now you uh -huh. need to hear them ah uh, yes the discourse Oh, man. So the baby cakes are it. They are the newest and freshest face on the minor league scene, at least for the next couple of weeks, as we uh, we eagerly await which way Staten Island will be going uh, in very short order ahead of the, uh, the holidays. And that will be the last one to fall uh, in the 2016 rebrand season, which has been a busy one. Last year, I feel like it was a, a little bit quiet. And this year, we have had a ton of new identities in minor league baseball. Yeah, no, this was... This is going to be super confusing, I think, in April for us. Yeah, no, that's true. God, God that bless our true. editors. God bless our editors, full stop. But God bless our editors who are going to be, like, yelling at us, just saying, like, you know they're not the Mets anymore. It's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Stop writing Zephyrs. Stop writing Zephyrs. You can still write Hillcats, though. <laughs> so... He is Benjamin Hill. You can find him on Twitter. He's at Ben's Biz. And you can check out the blog, bensbiz.mlblogs.com. No, we will be catching up with Ben again next week as we uh, get set to head into Thanksgiving. And there will be, of course, obviously more fallout from the baby cakes. If you really want to feel for uh, a, a person's life in social media, 
just go look through the replies to the initial baby cakes tweets, which, you know, we've discussed this time and time again. There's the initial freak out, the I'm never coming to another game. This is an embarrassment. Fire your marketing people. What a joke. And then there's a, okay, it's a little bit fun. And then there's, look at how sweet these hats are. I'm going to buy one of these hats. And then people are in the ballpark and everything's great. So New Orleans is in the very early phases yes. of that right now. And that is not a fun phase to go through if you're a front office, but that's where they are right now. So, you really want to feel good about, uh, you know, not being the person to, to have to look through the mentions. Go look through the mentions because they are and they something. they got the, the shack. Really something. Yeah, exactly. So, that's a, so that's that a works. Start. I think that should just be their yeah. re- response to all the trolls. Just shack yeah. over and over saying, yeah. I am a baby cake. Yeah, no, I I think that's that's probably the best troll-stopping one-up move anybody could make on social media for a minor league there baseball team. I think it's, that's pretty perfect. So we'll be uh, we'll be talking with Ben again next week. And uh, in the meantime, congratulations to the New Orleans Baby Cakes. Looking forward to see you take the field uh, next season in the Pacific Coast League. We're going to put a nice, tidy, neat little bow on the 84th episode of the show before the show podcast coming up next. Wrapping up this week's edition of the Show Before the Show podcast, you can get in touch with us. We are on Twitter, and we are on the old email machine, and we are everywhere else you can find us. Podcast at MILB.com. Questions, thoughts, comments, concerns. You want our takes on Thanksgiving dinner, what the best type of pie is, what our favorite side dish is. Go ahead and send us your inquiries, and we will be happy to address them in next week's Thanksgiving edition of the show. Sam is on Twitter. He's at Sam Dykstra, M-I-L-B. I am on Twitter at Tyler Mon. Although I've been just very depressed and overly emotional on Twitter as of late, which really I guess isn't that different no, than normal. But instead of being about hats, it's about like the real world, and who cares about that? <laughs> I mean, that's just Twitter. Stupid. So. As as stupid. again, yeah, true. I'm wrap exactly. this up as I began it. As Kate Upton has showed us today, <laughs> sometimes it's okay to get a. She's really. Online. She is a shining light for all of us. She is mad online tonight. It's very impressive work. Uh, but until next week. Thanks for tuning in to the Show Before the Show podcast this weekend. Coming up on Saturday, the Arizona Fall League comes to a close on MLB Network. The championship game will crown a title winner in the AFL. And congratulations to all those guys who have had terrific seasons down in the AFL. And a big thanks to all of them for joining us. Uh, By the time you all hear this episode, I will have a story, an AFL notebook, talking with Brent Honeywell of the Tampa Bay Rays organization. That will be up on the site so you can check that out. Check out Sam's Toolshed stuff that we talked about earlier on in the show as well. I think that's all, Sam. Yeah, we'll we'll be uh, joining everybody next Wednesday. So happy final weekend before Thanksgiving, everyone. uh, Preparing your stomachs. Yeah, prepare your stomachs and bring a list of topics of things you want to talk about, because could could be a could be a long (laughs) Thanksgiving for all of us. Talk to you guys next week. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, Enjoy the final weekend before Thanksgiving. We'll talk to you then. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with h track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. 
Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.